God loves us, you know, the way we are, but he loves us so much he's not willing to leave us where we're at. So we talked about this over the course of Christmas, that God came all the way from heaven, all the way down to earth to be close to us. All the way from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus to be close to us. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, we saw that the Lord says, you know what, I'm standing at the door of your heart knocking. I came all the way from heaven to get close to you. Where am I? I'm standing at the door of your heart, knocking on your heart. And he says, if anybody hears my voice, we worship a speaking God. God is not silent. If anybody hears my voice, if anybody hears me knocking here, uh, and if you open the door to your heart, to your life, to your space, I will come in and uh, I will eat with you and you with me. We will hang out together. Jesus is saying, I've come all the way from heaven to get close to you. And if you'll open up your life, if you'll open up space in your heart, I will come in and we will do life together. God is offering us a relationship with himself, a friendship with the God of the universe. God is a personal God. And he's offering us, along with that friendship, an entirely new identity. Um, He says, the scriptures say, that God will actually transfer us out of the family of Adam and into the family of God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God has taken us and given us a new identity which actually transfers us out of just being human beings and into the spiritual family of the living God. It's a whole new identity. Paul says to the Corinthian people, you're an entirely new creation. A whole new creation. Uh, It's like being adopted. You're taken from one family and put into another family that has more influence on you than your original family. Uh, Just like an adoption, out of the human family and into the spiritual family of God. And God actually says in the scriptures, you can call me Abba. Abba means daddy, right? In the Hebrew language. Daddy, call me dad. I want to get to know you. I want to be close to you. I want you to know me. And I want to know you. Uh, Jesus says, call me brother. And the scriptures say, call yourselves Christian. I was with a guy the other day, a um, black guy, and he says, I get up every morning and I look in the mirror and I remind myself that I'm a black man. And I said, gee, you know, I get up every morning, I look in the mirror and I remind myself, I'm a Christian. Is there an identity that supersedes all the differences that separate us in so many different ways? Is there a new identity in Christ that then begins to eliminate all the differences Uh, that we experience. And all God asks of us, right, is that we believe him, that we trust him, that we take him at his word. Trust me, he says. You know, just believe me. And this is the way it's always been uh, from way back in Genesis. You remember the uh, story of Abraham back in Genesis and God came to Abraham and Abraham simply believed God and then lived his life on that basis. And uh, Paul's reflecting on this in Romans chapter 4. He says, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, 
he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham simply believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham simply believed God, and it was attributed to him or accounted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, okay, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as is due, right? You go to work all week long. At the end of the week, the boss comes to you and he says, hey, I have a gift for you. It's your salary. That's not a gift. You've earned it. You've worked for it and so forth. And to the one who does not work, okay, but trusts him who justifies, for the person who doesn't work at their relationship with God, but trusts God and builds a relationship with God and isn't just out to try to impress him and so forth, that God justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. God takes the righteousness of Jesus, who was the only person who ever lived without sin, and puts it on our account. How do we become righteous before God? How do we become more uh, like Christ? Well, we do it through faith. We do it by taking God at his word, that he's done it for us, and he gives it to us as a gift. In Romans 6, the Bible says, you know, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift that God wants to give anybody who will simply believe him. So once we accept that gift, and once our sins are canceled out, and once the righteousness of Jesus is credited to our account, and once heaven is secure, and once God begins to smile upon us, because we've been reconciled to him, and we've uh, in 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 invested in this relationship that he's offering us, um, God's gift then changes our lives. God loves us the way we are, to be sure. But then these gifts that God begins to give us begin to change us. We have to figure out how do we respond. And so we've been talking about this. How do we uh, respond to the uh, generosity and the grace that God has sent our way? And we learn there's three proper responses, right? Worship. Remember Paul says in Romans chapter 12, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable spiritual worship. And worship is our first response. And we said worship is a lifestyle. Worship isn't just, you know, uh, coming together for an hour on a Sunday morning. Worship is literally a lifestyle that seeks to put God first in every area of our lives. That we would think first about God, that God would be first Pick any area of your life, you know, and that God would be first and that we would worship him, that we would stop bowing down to the world or whatever we're bowing down to and worship him only, bow down to him. And then second, we saw that if we're going to respond to this God who's so generous to us in Christ, that uh, we would do it by connecting, by staying connected to God, by being connected to ourselves in terms of reality. Remember Paul said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think and so forth. You had to be connected to ourselves and know what, what, where are we really at in 2023? Where are we at in our journey from when we first met the Lord to where the Lord's trying to bring us? Where are we at in that journey? And then finally we said uh, the third way that we respond to this God who is so generous to us is by serving the purposes or the will of God. We've been given more gifts, supernatural enablements, God says, so that we can find contentment and fulfillment in this life by serving God. And when we do that, we become 
uh, what we call servant leaders. And you might remember in Matthew chapter 20, uh, we looked at this last week, that God, uh, through Jesus, is talking about real leadership. And Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 20, uh, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the world that we live in, lorded over people and their great ones exercise authority over them. Um, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Leadership, servant leadership. It's unique. Uh, It's the uh, lifestyle of those of us who follow Jesus. Now, if I had to name just one other person, you know, other than Jesus, who has had a significant influence on us and on the way we think and uh, on our lives and even on the um, Constitution of the United States through our forefathers and so forth, uh, I'd vote for Moses. I think Moses has influenced us and the way we think and the way we are uh, more so than we perhaps realize or uh, at least very often think about. Remember we said leadership is influence. Whoever has the most influence has the leadership. Whoever has most influence. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that Moses has had a tremendous influence on us and our country as a servant leader. Now, Jesus came to us as a servant leader, right? He was a servant leader when he got here. Um, Moses was made into or developed into a servant leader through his relationship with God. And so I'm proposing to spend a few weeks here thinking about Moses as a mentor for us. How is it that we could learn from Moses some principles that we could apply to ourselves that would move us along to become increasingly like Jesus, but particularly as a servant leader? Uh, Moses was developed uh, through his relationship with God. And um, I, I don't know, um, if you go to the, uh, Deuteronomy at the very end of Moses' life, at the very end of Moses' life, Deuteronomy chapter 34, here's how his life is described. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but how would you like people to talk about you after you die? Uh, what, would be, what would people say you know, at our funeral? Uh, what would they say is characteristic about our lives? So here uh, in Deuteronomy 34, Moses, it says, the servant of the Lord. Moses was a servant. He had a servant mentality, right? And he's described that way. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, the Lord, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Listen to this. Moses was 120 years old, okay, when he died, and his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. That's how I'd like people to remember me when I'm 120. How about you, right? His eye was undimmed and his vigor was unabated. Imagine, 120 years old. Now, Moses' life falls out in a very kind of neat pattern. There's there's a third, a third, and a third to his life. The first third of his life, he's growing and learning, right? Second third of his life, he's being humbled. And the last third of his life, he's this servant leader who grabs a hold of God's people in Egypt 
and turns them into a nation, a servant leader. Uh, very easy to kind of outline Moses' life. And, you know, when you think about uh, God's people in Egypt, when, you know, when uh, Jacob and Joseph and the brothers and all of those guys went down there to Egypt because of the famine, there were 70 people, 70 people that started out as the nation of Israel in Egypt. And by the time they were done, it's estimated there was like 4 million people by the time Moses led them out of Egypt and so forth. So it's kind of interesting. God kind of like used Egypt as like an incubator to create a nation. And that'll come up uh, later as to how significant that really is. But, you know, this is how Moses was talked about when he died. And I think, I wonder if we think about that. I've done a lot of funerals and I realize that, you know, you can't wait until you die to hope that people will say certain things about you or that God will say certain things about you. You have to kind of start now and say, you know, at the end of, if I start here and I'm going to end there, how do I want to be when I get there? Or where am I in that journey? And am I cooperating with God? Uh, So just think with me uh, a little bit this morning about how Moses has actually influenced our lives and perhaps, you know, some ideas of ways that we haven't thought about before. But first of all, I would say through Moses... God gave us the Ten Commandments, right? So our whole notion of right and wrong or morality comes to us through Moses. Now, up until recent times, you know, the Ten Commandments would hang in our courtrooms and the Ten Commandments would be studied in our schools and it became the foundation for our understanding of what's right and what's wrong or that there even is a right and wrong or that there are some absolute truths that come down from God that give us guidance on how to live as individuals and how to get along with each other. So through Moses, um, these rights and wrongs, you know, have been around for a long time and have shaped our consciences about what's right and what's wrong. I would say there is no morality without God. Without God, it's just your opinion versus mine. But if there's a God, and if this God speaks, and if this God loves the people that he created, which he does, then God has sent down to us some non-negotiable absolutes about what's right and what's wrong. And Moses, his servant, is the one who delivered them to us, not without difficulty. But I want to say thank you, Moses, for giving us a sense of what's right and wrong. Second, I would suggest to you that through Moses, um, God wrote the first five books of the Bible. Okay, and this is where we learn about our origin, where we came from. We learn about the creation. Uh, We learn about Adam and Eve, our original parents. Uh, We get an understanding from Genesis of why the world is like it is. We're introduced uh, to the serpent and this enemy that we have. Um, Here, uh, you know, we get uh, in Genesis the first uh, promise about Jesus coming into the world someday. In Genesis chapter 3, very early in Genesis, uh, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity, God is talking to the serpent, and he's saying I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, your offspring, Antichrist, you know, her offspring, Jesus, and he's going to bruise your head and you're going to bruise his heel. You're going to nip at his heel, but you know what? He's going to crush you when it's all said and done. Here's the first 
prophecy in the scripture about uh, who we now know, looking backwards, you know, uh, is Jesus uh, from Moses. This, the first place where hope is put into the scriptures about what's going to happen in the future. It's here in Genesis that we learn what marriage was meant to be and uh, how marriage was meant to be. I want to say thank you, Moses. Okay? And then third, I would suggest to you that uh, Moses' influences are thinking about God and the way God is and who he is in many different ways. Uh, He reveals the character of God. He reveals the name of God. Uh, We're exposed to God's power. You know, uh, Moses goes down there to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that day, and says, hey, God says, let let his people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And so God says, okay, let's get the rodeo going. And we begin to have these plagues that come that get increasingly intense. And they're against the gods of the Egyptians uh, to show them, you know, that there is really only one true God. And we're exposed to God's power. The Israelites come up against the Red Sea and the Red Sea parts and, and so on and so forth. And we get this sense of who God really is. Uh, we get a sense of God's relentless love for his people. And we're influenced by the promises that God's made to Abraham uh, as we start with Genesis chapter 12 and then a few chapters after that. Which then explains to us what the history of mankind is really all about. Like, what is God up to? Why are we all here? What's going to happen to us at the other end? And so on. And we go all the way back to the beginning. We get the beginning. I want to say, thank you, Moses. Ultimately, God is looking to reach people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation in the world. Fourth, I would suggest to you that um, Moses shaped a group of slaves into a nation, the nation of Israel which is still with us today and which is often at the center of the world's concern. Um, Remember I told you I have a friend that uh, is a missionary to the United Nations and uh, he tells me that more uh, time is spent in the UN uh, over the Middle East than any other part of the world. And you can understand that and you can believe that. Israel, the exodus from Egypt creates a narrative Okay, about how God saves people from sin. And that narrative carries all the way over into the New Testament and even into the end times. The Passover meal, which was initiated way back, you know, when the people were leaving Egypt, is the most continuously celebrated holiday on the face of the earth, the Passover. You know, the Passover has been celebrated for over 3,500 years. Thank you, Moses. Thank you, Moses, for giving us the early history. And then finally, I would suggest to you that Moses uh, reveals uh, the promise of land to Israel, um, to the descendants of Abraham, and that land is still being fought over today. From Moses, we learn that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. You remember uh, way back here uh, at the very beginning, God promised Abraham and Sarah that he was going to make a nation out of them and they didn't even have a son and then they get old and they're past the age of childbearing and God still says, I'm going to give you a son. And uh, you remember uh, Sarah uh, laughs, you know, and says, that's not going to happen, sorry. And, uh, And a year from then, God shows up and the son is there. And so God is a, you know, we sing it right here a lot. God is a way maker. Right? 
And uh, he's a miracle worker, and he's a promise keeper, and he's a light in the darkness. And we learn all those things from Moses. This is the kind of God we worship. This is who he is. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, Ask the question. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 20, always reminds me of this. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. You can build your life on the promises of God. All the promises of God are yes in the person of Jesus. So thank you, Moses. I think we might not realize it, but Moses has had a very significant influence on our lives. And Moses' relationship with God is what shaped him into this servant leader. And so I propose that we be mentored by Moses. You know, on that survey that John talked about, uh, several people mentioned, you know, I'd like a pastor who is into mentoring. And I'd like, you know, somebody who's a little further on this journey to be able to sit down and interact with and talk to. And I'm going to suggest that Moses makes a great mentor. You can take what uh, Moses, the relationship between God and Moses, and uh, begin to see uh, how he developed into a servant leader. So a key text, at least in my mind, for how all this comes about, is in Exodus chapter 33. And I'd just like to uh, share a couple thoughts on that. In Exodus chapter 33, in verse 11, here's what we read. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. How did Moses develop? While the Lord and Moses, God and Moses, the Lord and Moses spoke like friends. They developed this relationship to the point where God was free to speak. You know, don't you ever ask the question like, my goodness, how, how did Moses write Genesis? He wasn't there when Adam and Eve came about, and obviously, and so on. And uh, you know what? God told them about the creation. When you read Genesis, you're reading what God told Moses to write down. This isn't speculation. This isn't somebody scratching their head and coming up one morning and saying, I think the world began like this. I think people came this way. I think we all evolved from an amoeba someplace. No, this is God speaking to his friend Moses. And that same God speaks to us today. Remember in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, you know, in the past, God spoke in many ways, in many different times, through the prophets and so forth. But in these last days, God is speaking to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is obviously the living word of God. And the Bible is the written word of God, which records for us the things that Jesus said and that we could have, just like Moses had this relationship with God where they spoke to one another. And so a devotional life, some time dedicated each day to sit down and to spend time with our friends. I bet over the holidays you got together with people who you would consider friends that you haven't spent time with for a long time and how great that is. And so one of the ways that we begin to develop this servant leadership is through staying connected to God through a devotional life whereby we allow God to speak to us through the scriptures and we speak to him through prayer. And then in this same passage, uh, in uh, the next verse, um, listen, Moses says, God, this is what you've said to me. I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. This is what God has said to me. If you're a Christian, this is what's true about you. God knows you by name, and you have found favor in God's sight. God is smiling at you. 
How often do we think that as we go through our days and so forth, that God is actually smiling on us? You know, I, I know we're like kids. God's our father and we're like kids. And, you know, uh, it's just like kids, right? You love them the way they are, but you're not going to leave them there because they need to grow up. And that's what God is doing with us. It's the same thing. You know, he loves us where we're at, but he's moving us. And, but he knows us by name like we would know our children's name, and he smiles on us. He's, we, we've found favor in his sight. And then here's the, the, the next verse, and this is so significant. Moses says, now therefore, you know, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Please, God, if I found favor and you know my name and I'm walking with you, Please let me get to know you better so that I can adjust my life to you so that we can have this journey together so that I can find even more favor in your sight. Wouldn't you love it if you had a kid who said this? Please, Dad, tell me more of what you want me to do so that I can find favor in your sight, so that we can walk together and be buddies and, and, and uh, you know, conform to each other and so on. And that's what Moses is saying to God. He says, now therefore, if I've found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. Please allow me to get to know you better. Please expose me to your will, you know, for my life and to your purposes for this world. And help me to understand where we're at between the beginning of the world and the end of the world and, and so on. If I've found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. That was Moses' attitude. That's the attitude of a servant leader, right? God, please, show me more. I, I know what I know, but I want to know more uh, so that I can know you in order that I can find more favor in your sight. And uh, in the context here, then Moses says, you know, and remember, these are your people, not mine, right? And um, I, I'm going to skip a little bit here and go uh, to the end. I'd like to just uh, uh, show you in uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Moses is addressing the people, and they just get going. And, and um, in chapter 7 and verse 8, uh, Moses is talking to the people, right? So, like to us, he said, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for, he has, for his own treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And here... It's not because you are more in number than any other people. It started out with 70 people, right? Started out with one person, Abraham. Not because you're more in number or more powerful that the Lord has set his love on you and chosen you. For you are the fewest of all people. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, the promise-keeping God, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. God has chosen to deliver us from a life of humanness, limitedness, sinfulness, and made us his own people, brought us into his own family, if you will. And then uh, in chapter 9, he's still in the context of the same conversation. Chapter 9 in verse 8, um, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. 
I'm not giving you all these gifts and, and making you part of my family because you're so good, for you are a stubborn people. <laughs> you are really a stubborn group of people, these Israelites, you know. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord, your God, to wrath in the wilderness from the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place. And you have been rebellious against the Lord. And so on. Um, Even at Horeb, you provoked uh, the Lord to wrath and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you and so on and so on. You know, just understand that this God, we get to know what this God is really like. And uh, from Moses, as he mentors us and moves us from wherever we're at in order that we might become those kind of servant leaders that God can use to accomplish his purposes in our day. Uh, We are all little Moseses, right? I mean, God has chosen us and loved us and blessed us in so many different ways, gifted us, and now invites us to walk with him that we might learn more of his ways and understand uh, the day in which we live and what his will and purpose is in it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we uh, begin a time thinking about Moses, we just invite you to speak to us. We invite you to impress upon us uh, what happened in your relationship with Moses that we might learn from it, that we might glean from your word those uh, principles and skills and and uh, how to have courage in the face of uh, maybe Uh, wanting to go left when you want us to go right, and all those kinds of things, I pray, Father, that you'll bring them to the surface. Help us to hear them, not just with our ears, but with our hearts. And, Father, that your spirit would have freedom to just accomplish your purposes in us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.